It's good to be here. It's good to see so many people we know and that we love. It's a special day for our family, a couple different reasons. One, clearly being here. Second, before I get rolling, just wanted to say that 23 years ago today, I made one of the best decisions I've ever made, and I married my wife, Kimberly, in the front row. So today is our 23-year anniversary. So Kimberly, I've already confirmed with Debbie McMillan that Pastor Phil's buying us lunch today, and I want you to know the sky's the limit. It's your day. It is your day. You, you deserve it, baby. You deserve it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 23 years ago, and it was just about that time that we started coming to Valley Bible, Pastor Phil mentioned me coming to know Jesus at a church in Richmond where God saved me, uh, of all things, through a floor hockey outreach in Richmond. Go figure. But uh, that's how God reached me through a youth ministry there. And it was interesting because we got really involved in the youth ministry there, and I was serving as a youth leader there for years. And somebody at some point invited my wife to come to Valley. And uh, I was at the time going, no, I'm not really interested in, in, in that. And they said, why don't you just come to a Sunday night service? And what they said was, you're going to love the worship, is exactly what they said. And so my wife has always sung and loved to worship. And so we eventually made it over on a Sunday night. And as you can imagine, she loved it. But what I didn't know and what I didn't anticipate was um, how God was going to speak to my heart through your pastor and my pastor, through Pastor Phil and through the staff here at this church. And I can remember beginning to hear the word of God preached and thinking, this is different than what I've ever experienced in some way. I mean, same book and a lot of great things. And God reached me through, as I mentioned, another ministry, but there was something different. And I didn't even know how to explain what it was I surely didn't know what expository preaching was. I probably couldn't even have spelled it at that time if you asked me. But the word of God was being preached and there was sound doctrine and theology and yet it was practical and it was this beautiful blend and God would continue to speak to my heart. Not too long after that, I think Kimberly went and started to talk to Pastor Ted Montoya uh, about uh, guitar chords or something like that and as all good youth pastors do they kind of rope you into youth ministry and serving right and so uh, before we know it we're serving in youth ministry there and I'm serving alongside Ted and it was in 1997 it was in the month of May and we were over in is it called the Family Life Center okay I'm still got some memory left it was across the way there and pastor preached uh sermon on a Sunday evening where the really devout Christians come out to those type of services, right? It was a Sunday night, and uh, he was preaching, and he was in 2 Corinthians 4, and it was called The People God Ministers Through that night is what spoke to my heart so much. And I can remember at that time having been a young man who was really involved in youth ministry, and people were really kind, and they would say things like, you should be a youth pastor, or you should go into ministry because you you know, fill in the blank, and I can just remember going, I, I can't even speak in front of people. There's, there's no way I would even think about something like that, and all I know that it, at that time in my life, even though I was being encouraged by other people, I was just going, 
I'm way too inadequate to do something like that. And this isn't false humility on my part. I mean it. I, I, I dropped out of the only speech class I ever took in college. I'm not kidding. At Diablo Valley College until I got into a speech class where there was a lady who actually let me pass the class without ever having to actually speak in a <laughs> speaking class. I'm, this is no joke. But on that night as he was speaking and preaching from that passage, he was speaking about excellence in ministry and how excellence in ministry as God defines it is accomplished. And he said these words, he said, excellence isn't achieved through the elimination of human inadequacy, but instead by the divine empowerment of inadequate people. And I'll never forget, God didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but it was as clear as day that that was for me because all I had was all my reasons why I didn't measure up or whatever it was, right? But God had something different in mind, and I didn't know what it was at the time, and I can just remember going, no more excuses after tonight. I'm yours, Lord. I don't know what that means. So I come here uh, today. It's good to see you all, and I'm still that same guy who goes, I don't feel adequate to be doing this. But praise God that he is and that he works through weak people who are available and willing. You might be you might be here this morning and you're telling yourself some of the same type of things I was 20 some odd years ago and God's just waiting for you to make yourself available and willing and you might be amazed at how he wants to use you. Well, Contrary to what you may have heard or been told over the years, and I'm going to say this slowly because I want you to be sure you let it sink in for a moment, even listen to where I put the emphasis as I say this. Contrary to what you may have been told or heard over the years, there will be times in life when God gives you more than you can handle. There will be times in life when God gives you more than you can handle. Now let me just talk about that for a moment and explain what I mean just a bit. There will be difficult seasons in life, and if you're blessed to live long enough, you probably will just experience more of them than other people, right? They are inevitable. There will be times where you'll discover that you, and this is what I mean, you with your own resources, you in your own strength, won't be able to handle the absolute mess that you're experiencing on your own. The good news is this, though, that God never intends for you to handle anything on your own. In fact, if you belong to him, we've got a God who has promised to walk with us, hasn't he? He's promised to walk with us in those seasons. He's promised to sustain us. He's promised to strengthen us. And he's, and he's promised to enable us so that we might be able to navigate those trials in a way that are going to grow us, right? God is all about making us look more like Jesus by the grace of God as the Spirit of God is at work within us to, to draw us to maturity and to bring him glory. God is in the business of doing that. 
If you're familiar with the life of David at all, you're going to know that there were many times where he went through seasons that were pretty much overwhelming as far as we could see or as far as he might have been able to see. I'm thankful that he went through them. You know why? Because now the pages of Scripture are filled with God's story, but how David brought him through those times. We get to see a man's heart bleed all over the pages of Scripture. We get, a man, get to see a man who was the king of Israel who, who fell and made some mistakes, but God walked with him through those times. We get to see him repent. We get to see his heart for God. And because God has chosen to include those passages in the word of God, we can go to them for encouragement and we can learn from them, right? As I look at how David responded to some of the things he went through as well as what we're going to see that he went through today, it makes me pause and wonder, what do people see when I'm going through a mess in my life? Do they see me turn to God or do they see me have a pity party for myself? How about your family members? What do they see when things are incredibly difficult? Your, your spouse, if you're married, your neighbors, the community and world around you that doesn't know Jesus and, and that are watching you, what do they see when you walk through those difficult seasons? Let me just give a little bit of perspective here. I want to say this. Every trial, every trial that you experience, whether a big one or a small one, ultimately presents you with an opportunity to trust God more fully. Now that's something that we know to be true, but that's not often what we're thinking when we're going through it, right? It's an opportunity. Some of you have an opportunity right now <laughs> ahead of you, and you might have cried yourself to sleep last night, not being aware that it was one. But it is one to trust God and to allow him to step in and do what we can't do on our own with our own resources. Wouldn't it be terrible if God only exposed us or allowed us to go through things that we could handle on our own what would be the result would be some self-sufficient self-righteous people that would think we didn't need God ultimately right thank God for the difficult things that we go through and may they not drive us away from him but may they drive us to him right as you're going to see they did for David Even though we know most of this, we know it's true. We still find ourselves asking, and it's okay to ask these questions. When is the madness going to end? Is it ever going to stop? When will I finally catch a break? God, this is just too much for me. And I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. Where you choose to turn, or whom or to what you choose to turn, in the midst of life's messes, will make all the difference in the world. Where is it that you turn? Turn with me, if you would, if you've got your Bibles, to Psalm 3. We're going to see in this passage this beautiful psalm that when David was in the midst of an absolute mess, and I just feel like it can kind of speak freely and say something like that. He's in an absolute mess, right? I feel at home here. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like life was a mess at times. He came to place his absolute trust in God. 
And that very wise and intentional choice made all the difference in the world as he attempted to navigate what we're going to see this morning. If I could give you just a little bit of background on Psalm 3, and this is going to be just quick, but Psalm 3 falls within a collection of psalms, one after the other, between Psalm 3 and 41, that were perhaps exclusively written by David. They're a very special collection of psalms. Psalm 3 is considered a lament. Did you know that a big theme within the scriptures is lament, right, or within the psalms? We usually think of praise. There is lament all over the place in the psalms, and when you read Psalm 3, you'll see that David uses several different military references in this psalm. If you could look really quickly at verses 1 and 7, and I'll read them to you in their entirety in a moment, but in verses 1 through 7, he speaks of his enemies or his foes. In verses 3 through 8, he speaks of victory. In verse 3, he speaks of God as what? His shield. And then if you could see this passage in the original language, you'd see that even in verse 6, there's a word that's used for people that is often or other places sometimes translated in scripture as army. We see that in 2 Samuel 10 and in 2 Kings 13. So David's about to pour his heart out here in Psalm 3, and the language that he's using is about military type language and I guess I think it's for this reason because when we're going through some of those really difficult times when we're getting beat up in life and things can feel like they're an absolute mess it feels like we're at what at war and so he uses some of that very language within this psalm if you're able and you're willing this morning I want to invite you to stand with me as we read Psalm 3. I like to do this when I'm in a, a passage where we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this is the main text for today. I like to ask folks to, to stand, not just to keep you awake and to get you exercise and all, but because when we read this, this is just a fun reminder for me that these are God's words, right? And when the scripture speaks, who speaks? God speaks, right? These are God's words. Psalm 3, save me, O my God. And the superscription says this, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now that's significant because some psalms don't give us an idea about what's happening at the time they're written. Some do, and this one very specifically does. If you want to know more about it, you can go to 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, and it will kind of lay out everything that David's going through at this time. I'll be alluding to some of the little things happening along the way as we read this. But at this time, you got to remember that David's own son, Absalom, had actually won over the hearts of the people of the nation of Israel, and he had initiated all-out war, not against someone who should be his enemy, but against his dad. And at this time, David is fleeing. He's fleeing from the palace to the hills, the king of Israel being pursued. Verse 1 says this, and I got to tell you, I've mentioned it's a lament, right? I can't read this and hear like Bob Ross's voice like in these verses or Mr. Rogers or something. I got to think like David is 
He's passionate. He's crying out to God. So, oh Lord, how many are my foes, he says in verse 1. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. You all may be seated. The psalm kicks off, and in verse, verses 1 and 2, you see repetition. You see David saying three times, many, many, many. Oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many will say there's no help for him in God, right? He's feeling this. He's, he's emphasizing it. And the idea here is that the opposition against him is, is growing. It's multiplying. I want to read to you, and you don't have to turn there. If you're taking notes, just go ahead and jot down a couple of these references I'm going to give you. This is from 2 Samuel 15, 13, which records that a messenger came to David saying, David, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And if you remember right, uh, Absalom was being a snake and had positioned himself in the right place to be able to gain favor and influence among some of the people of Israel. And now this David is being told, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Things are starting to look like they're not very good. Now listen, only two chapters later, 2 Samuel 17, verses 1 and 2. Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose not 12, but 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him, listen to what a nice guy he was, while he is weary and discouraged. Throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. Nine verses later in chapter 17, verse 11. Absalom has counseled that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, should be gathered to him to go into battle against David and his men. Do you see how the opposition is building against him? It's coming in like waves. It begins with the influence of some being against him and towards his, his son early on, and then ten thousands of men, twelve thousand coming after him, pursuing him, and when he's weary and he's discouraged, and then it being said that all of Israel should be gathered to Absalom to go into battle against David and his men. This had to feel absolutely overwhelming for David. I see this almost being like the waves that come in on the ocean and they just never stop. 
And you can kind of start treading in a little bit, and you're doing okay. But the farther you get out, they're just coming heavier and heavier, and they don't stop. David is emphasizing this many, many. And he says in verse 2, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. You want to know how bad it had gotten for David? This is also 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, where a man who was from the house of Saul named Shimei, if I'm pronouncing it right, actually would follow David and curse at him and throw rocks at him. Now, on our worst day, most of us could say that probably hasn't happened to us, right? Hopefully. We think it's a trial when... We don't have Wi-Fi for an hour or so, right? David has 12,000 plus people and essentially almost all of the nation of Israel turning toward his son, pursuing him, wanting to move upon him when he's weary and discouraged. And now this man cursing him and throwing rocks. And what did he say to him? He'd say, get out. Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man, he'd say to David. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, David, for you're a man of blood. Wow. He's basically saying, David... There isn't even any hope for you and God. This is beyond hope. As a matter of fact, this is God's judgment upon you. That's what this man's telling him. You deserve it. He's basically telling him, David, you're getting what was coming to you. We've got to be really careful who we listen to when we're in the mess that we get in in life sometimes when the trials are heavy. You don't want to listen to the wrong voice because that wasn't true. And I'm assuming that there weren't many around at that time who could <laughs> give a whole lot of encouragement to David as so many were opposed to him, but he knew where his encouragement and his ultimate hope would come from. And so he had to begin to talk to himself about who his God was in the midst of all of this, right? we got to be careful who we listen to. We see this little word pop up, Selah, which uh, is shown 70 some odd times in scriptures. You'll see it in different places in the Psalms, three times here within this one brief Psalm. And it seems to carry this idea. There's a lot of discussion out there over exactly what it means, but it seems to carry at least this idea. Pause and consider. Think about it. Meditate upon this for a moment. Have you ever just noticed sometimes we can be reading through the God, God's word and then you just, you know, five minutes later go, what did I just read, right? God's saying, slow down and think about this for a moment. Meditate upon it. I love something that Spurgeon said about this little word, Selah, within this context. He said, let us read the passage which precedes and succeeds it with greater earnestness, for surely there is always something excellent where we are required to rest and pause and meditate, or when we are required to lift up our hearts in grateful song. And he said, let Selah teach us to pray. So let's pause and consider just for a moment 
the magnitude of what's happening in David's life. Because if we're not careful, we could go through this too quickly and not really let it sink in. Tens of thousands of people are against him. He's being cursed. Rocks are being thrown at him. He's being humiliated and he's running for his life. David, what are you going to do? And you know what he chooses to do? He chooses to trust in God. He chooses to trust in God. And like I said earlier, where you choose to turn or to whom or to what you turn in those difficult times in life will make all the difference in the world. You might have come to church this morning right in the middle of a very difficult, seemingly overwhelming time and trial right now. And if that's the case, I can say with confidence that God wants you to hear from him and his word this morning and to learn from what David did and the intentional choice that he made. And you know what? Sometimes we have to make it over and over and over because if you're like me sometimes you can go and lay it at his feet and then you're okay and you've got the peace of God for about 15 minutes <laughs> until you take it right back upon yourself and you know what it's not like there's a different solution next now what do I do you got to go right back to him again put your hope in him again put your trust in him again as David did in Psalm 3 and it's interesting because I found that when we're in those difficult times in our life when we're in those moments sometimes we tell ourselves we don't really have a choice but we always have a choice to decide whether or not we're going to trust in our God and what he's doing that doesn't make sense to us at times believing where he's going to lead us is for good, for our good, for his glory, even though we can't always understand and identify it when we're in the midst of the mess. We have an opportunity in front of us to say, I'm going to place my absolute trust in God. Or maybe I won't and I'll trust in my own strength. We never say that, right? But when our hope's not in him, it's ultimately somewhere else that's not the right place. And very often it's in us. Heard somebody say the other day, you know, just, I do everything I can, and then when I can't do any more, then I pray, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> we got to be praying and trusting all along. And it's not that God just wants us to sit there idle because he doesn't. We've got to put our hope in him. I can tell you it would have been very easy for David not to choose to put in tr his trust in God in this moment, but he did. When David was in the crucible of the crisis, he turned his eyes to God and he placed his trust, his absolute trust in him. Instead of focusing on how big his problems were, he was able, with God's help, to remember how big his God was. And he says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. What could be better to have when you're under the attack of tens of thousands than a divine shield? 
Some of you Marvel fanatics thought Captain America's shield was cool. But God was David's shield. See, someone as familiar with battle as David definitely was would inevitably understand the importance of having a shield and could say, I may be outnumbered by the attacks that are coming from every direction, but God is my protector. God is my defense, and that's sufficient for me. See, David understood that it didn't matter what the numbers appeared to be. His odds at Vegas wouldn't have been very good at this time. But with God on his side, that was a majority, right? That's a winning team. And he understood this. One plus God is a majority. Another thing I'd like to point out here is this, that David had to make a decision, and I alluded to this moments ago, about who he was going to listen to, but he concluded that it was better to listen to the Lord's voice than it was to listen to the loud voices around him. He went on to refer to the Lord as his glory and the lifter of his head. And I love this because it communicates David didn't merely trust God to protect and deliver him from his enemies. He also believed God would once again restore his life and his dignity after things had become an absolute mess and the whole world that he knew had come crashing down in some sense. He believed God would do this. And it's interesting because as you look at Again, 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 30, the word of God tells us that David went up the ascent to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot. Imagine this, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, crying, barefoot. And the word of God says, with his head covered, with his head covered. And all the people who were with him did, guess what? Covered their heads. And they went up weeping as they went. What a hopeless, humiliating experience for a king and a man after God's own heart. Yet David believed God even cared enough about him, not just to deliver him in the immediate sense, but to one day restore his dignity. And he did. David's God was his glory. And he was convinced the Lord would not permit his head to remain covered and hung in shame. His God would be, he was confident, the lifter of his head. In verse 4, he goes on to say, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I want to say to you this morning, there's a big difference between crying and crying out to the Lord, right? Two very big difference, differences there. We can shed a lot of tears and we can cry and weep, but David cried out to the Lord when the trials came. Is that what you tend to do when things seem overwhelming? And if God's got you in a place where He's teaching you that, and he's ministering to you there in that place. 
as hard as it is, find a way to rejoice in knowing that he's drawn me closer to him. He's making me more dependent upon him. He's showing me how I have all that I need in him. Showing me how he can fill every void that I have in my life. Everything that I need. My God is sufficient. David chose to do that. He expressed his trust and his faith and his God. And guess what? How would you expect God to respond? God answered him, the word of God says. God answered him. Of course God did. Did we doubt for a minute God was not going to hear the cry of his, of his child and answer his prayer? It doesn't always come the way that we think it's going to come. That's for sure, right? But he's not going to leave us hanging because that's the type of God that we serve. It was the type of God that David served. He understood his God was trustworthy, his God was faithful. And the same God of David who could do this for him is the same God that you and I serve if we place faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's your shield. He's your strength. He's the one who will deliver you. He's the one who will lift your head. David said that he answered from his holy hill. A reference to Mount Zion. Jerusalem's Temple Mount, where David had brought the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence and God's power. And in the midst of this nightmarish trial that David is walking through, he's reminded once again that his God is both present and powerful right now. Some of you need to hear that and know that today. Your God is both present and powerful in this very moment. No matter what it is that you may be experiencing, he's trustworthy and he's faithful. I love Psalm 46, which reminds us what? That God is our refuge and our strength, right? And then he says, a very present help in times of trouble. And the idea is this, that our God in those moments, in those difficult seasons of life, has promised that he is very findable. I'm a dad with little kids, and every once in a while we'll read those annoying little Where's Waldo books, right? And you've seen them. You've got to search through all the pictures until you can find Waldo, and you're like, where is this cat hiding, right? Where is he at? And eventually you find him, God is the opposite of that. He says when times are difficult, when you feel like you're in your darkest hour, in the roughest place, he is very findable in those moments. He's promised that to us. Are we looking for him? Because David not only knew this in his head, and he chose to believe it and take comfort in it, what was the result? I love this. It's so simple. A good night's sleep and no fear. That's what the result was. Anybody out there could use a good night's sleep? Can't tell you how many times in the last nine years or however long I've been away, there have been nights where I, I did some more crying myself to sleep than necessarily crying out to God in a moment. Times where it was rough to even get to sleep at night. 
And I'd keep going to him and laying it at his feet. And like I shared earlier, we'd keep taking it back, but keep going back to him and giving it back to him. No matter how dismal his circumstances may have appeared, and don't forget, they were crazy what we're talking about he's experiencing right now. A lot of money has been spent in advertising by sleep train, trying to tell you that your ticket to a better night's sleep is one of their mattresses. <laughs> but a poor, according to God and his word, it's not about the mattress. It's about placing absolute trust in him in the midst of life's absolute messes. Verse 5, check it out. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. Did you know you could even sleep when you're fleeing through the wilderness? Something tells me there wasn't a comfortable mattress or pillow wherever he was able to lay his head that night. But with God as his shield, with his absolute trust anchored in the God of the Bible, he could get rest. And I love this because once God's children have placed their absolute trust in the Lord, once they've cried out to him with all their heart and they receive his strength, they receive his grace, his encouragement, whatever it is that they need in that hour, they can then sleep at night and not worry about whether or not their God will fall asleep on the job while they're sleeping. Because according to Psalm 121.4, our God neither slumbers nor sleeps, right? When our trust is in him, we can get that rest that our weary hearts often need. Now David offers some words that may seem a bit shocking. He's about to go into battle and his heart passionately longs to see God glorified and to see his enemies, since they were God's enemies, destroyed and put to shame. Now you might notice as I've read through this psalm today, hey, we, we sing this song at Valley, right? Didn't Brooklyn Tab do this? Absolutely love it. But these next couple of verses didn't make it into the psalms, into the song somehow, right? These are tough to, to fit in there. It's a bit shocking to us. But again, I'm going to say this. He's about to go into battle. His heart longs to see his God glorified, longs to see his enemies destroyed and put to shame, not because he doesn't like them, but because they're God's enemies. And he says in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Selah. Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember this today. Where you turn, or whom you choose to turn to, or what you choose to turn to, in the midst of life's inevitable messes, will make all the difference in the world. No matter what trial you may be going through right now, you've got a choice. 
There's an opportunity before you, and I'm not trying to make it sound more simple than it is, but there is an opportunity there, and the choice that we can make is to lean on our God, to lean on the Lord, to declare our absolute trust in Him and in Him alone, not in our own strength, not in our own resources, but in the one who is both present and powerful and who is a shield to us and who is the reason that we could lay down at night and go to sleep and rest. Child of God, you can be confident of this because our God is a God, as David says in verses 7 and 8, who saves, he rescues, he delivers. Did you know that your God is a God who saves? He is. He really is. You know, as I preach this this morning, and so many of us, I'm sure it, 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 it resonates with us as we, we think as a child of God about the, the trials and things that we experience at times. And I want you to know that God wants to save, deliver, and rescue in those moments as well. But you don't want to hear this and just think about the here and now without knowing for sure. Has he ever saved me from even something bigger than the immediate trial that I'm experiencing? And has he really delivered me and saved me from my sin? See, our God is a God who saves. The word of God says salvation belongs to the Lord. It's of him and it's from him, isn't it? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? As I talk about absolute trust today, have you trusted in him and in him alone for your salvation? I'm going to just give you a little quick one on the fact that I went nine years to a, a Christian school, and that's a whole lot of blue corduroys and white polo shirts over the years, right? Nine years where I had chapel every Friday, and I memorized Bible verses, and I had Bible classes each day, and I thank God for those years. I truly do, but I want to let you know something, that if you had asked me at the time that I graduated from eighth grade, I would have known that I didn't want to go to hell but in some sense, I was still trusting and trying to be the best person that I knew how to be. Trying to be the best guy I could possibly be. Ron's a nice guy, or as you may have heard, people have known me for a long time, Ronnie, right? It wasn't until God spoke to my heart through a youth ministry that I began to attend where he took a lot of those verses, some of them I had even committed to memory over the years and reminded me that it's by grace that I've been saved through faith, right? That it's a gift of God, not of what? Not of works, so that no one should boast. Paul said in Romans 3, for by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No works, nothing I could do except uh, as God makes possible, make a choice to put my trust in him. My trust in what his son did for me on the cross. And the Bible says that his son was sent to pay for the penalty of my sin, that he died on the cross for me, that he was buried and that he rose again and that God offers eternal life to any who would turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save them, 
somehow by the grace of God that sunk through my self-righteous head around the age of 15 and I stopped trusting and doing the best that I could and I began trusting in what Jesus had done for me to save me and it changed my life. Many of you here today have been blessed to grow up in this wonderful Bible teaching church and it's a beautiful thing to be able to experience that. But did you know there are even some folks in churches that don't know Jesus? May even attend pretty regularly, might even drop something in the offering plate when they're feeling pretty good. Have you placed trust in Christ? Are you trusting only in his work on the cross to give you eternal life? And I want to tell you that's not just something that's future, but those of us who have placed trust in Christ have that now and he's with us and at work in us in the day-to-day of our life as we attempt to navigate some of the things we're talking about today you can know for certain today that you belong to him would you stop trusting in yourself and say father I want to put my trust in what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross he died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sins and he didn't remain dead he's not still hanging there today on the cross but he rose again he conquered death he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us today and he walks with us through these difficult things folks it's as simple as letting him know you believe that with all your heart today asking him for help letting him know God I need your forgiveness he's a God who forgives and if you're here today and you know that you've done that I want to say this to you I'm going to throw this out there before I go if God would do that for you if he would send his one and only son right the son who was one of a kind absolutely unique the God man Jesus if he would send him here and he would be God in the flesh essentially and he would walk here on this earth among his people who largely rejected him and he was willing to endure the cross and be put to shame and be ridiculed mocked beaten spat upon nailed to a cross if he was willing to endure that to show his love for you and to bring you to himself do you not believe that he can be with you right now and whatever it is that you're experiencing today, if you would just put your absolute trust in him, I promise you he will because he's that kind of God. Amen. Valley Bible Church, it was awesome to be here today. Our family, the Johnson family, loves you. This is home to us in a very special way. It always will be. We love you. And why don't you stand and let's, uh, we're going to, worship the Lord and if I understand right the song has come to the altar I want to say if you want to come up and you want to know with certainty that you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior I'm, I'm just going on this brother so there'll be people up here come on down if you want to if you want prayer if there's something that you want God to be walking with you through today right now come up and we'll pray again if you maybe you wanted to come the first time and you didn't Come as God's people sing.